Hello and welcome to Fantasy Live Podcast Week 13 Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It is a great day to be great, and especially when the boys are back together. Dwayne, The Rock, McFarlane, Chris, The Cincy, Storm Chaser, Allen. It's been a few weeks, guys, but we're back, we're alive, and we're hopefully even on the verge of making some fantasy playoffs. So, Chris, man, how's it going, Mr. Engineer? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm actually back into brewing. I actually uh, brewed a pumpkin ale uh, over the Thanksgiving break. So happy to get back into the hobby. And now when things are starting to glide into playoff season, uh, you know, content is not slowing down, but it's becoming a bit easier to get through some of these weeks. I'm finding some time for some more of my hobbies. You know, we're talking about playing some poker here in the next few weeks. So, yeah, man, I'm excited. Holiday season is here. I'm definitely excited for that. So but I'm more excited to be talking ball with y'all today. So, yeah. How are you doing, Mr. McFarland, sir? Oh man, let's talk ball, y'all. That's how I usually open up the, uh, you know, the uh, the Discord chat is let's talk ball, y'all. I, the, Ian, what do you come in with? People need to be in the Discord channel. That's the main takeaway here. We've got yeah. office hours. Oh, yeah. Ian hangs out. I hang out. Chris, you do a hangout over there too, don't you? Mm-hmm. I pop in yeah, every so. now and again for the waiver stuff. Yeah, I yeah, for the say, waiver stuff. You know, I'm pretty clear. Like, hey, party people. Hey, friends. Discord yeah, yours is party people. Whatever. Yeah, and I say, you know, you can ask me literally anything. One disclaimer, no kicker questions. I just refuse to do that. But otherwise, yeah, no, every uh, new you, you allow defense, which is nice. Defense is real football. It's not a matter of not liking, like, kicker scoring or DST scoring. We can talk about that, too. But it's just, like, defensive players are the most real football players. Kickers. All right, let's uh, just stop that right now. As always Does on this somebody episode. somebody play defense in college or football or anything like that? Any yeah, bias yeah. there? Definitely didn't kick. I will say, guys, the most humiliating moment of my life, I went to a college football camp in high school, and I had a band, and I was stretching. And, yes, I played linebacker. And a coach was like, oh, using that band, are you a kicker? And I was like, I am never, ever getting an offer from this school right now. And yeah, and that's, uh, that's how your boy ended up going D3. So anyway, guys, as we always do in the week 13 questions pod, going through the biggest and baddest questions, you know, ahead of the week to hopefully, again, get your, get your fancy lineups right. Because what else are we doing in this world if we're not focusing on that? So fellas, starting off with, are Zach Moss and Kyron Williams right back to being the skeleton keys needed for your fantasy championship? Dwayne, I know these are two guys that, you know, just in the utilization report from week to week, if we just had to, again, take the most fantasy-friendly roles in the NFL, Zach Moss has the Colts feature back. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor going to miss multiple weeks now with the stum injury. And then Kyron Williams being the Rams feature back. Two of the most fantasy-friendly roles we've seen. Now, Kyron's last week wasn't exactly back to being that usual 90% snap plus. But you know what? When you still rack up 20-plus touches and you have over 200 total yards, fantasy managers tend to be okay with that. So for you, Dwayne, like if we had the draft right now, basically, Zach Moss and Kyron Williams rest of the season it'd be really hard to rank more than 10 running backs ahead of either yeah especially Kyron Zach Moss like we don't know like in two or three weeks do we go back to Jonathan Taylor and I think that probably depends on like how well the Colts are playing the Colts are playing really good we probably get JT back if not we might not see JT again you know this season with the thumb injury but to your point like looking at Moss, the utilization has been unquestionably amazing whenever we've had these games without Jonathan Taylor. So if you look at the first four games of the season, now he missed week one and in week five, JT returned. But if you guys remember, like we hardly got any JT at all that week. So in those four contests, we had at least 60% of the rushing attempts for Zach Moss. He averaged 21.3 fantasy points. Uh, he actually averaged 84% of the snaps over that period, 76% of the rushing attempts, and his route participation wasn't too shabby either, 61%. That's borderline elite, or as Ian would say, borderline erotic. So yeah, looking baby. at uh, you know Zach Moss, the matchups this weekend, or the matchup this weekend, like, 
it's one that we used to be scared of, Ian. You know, we used to be a little worried about Tennessee because, you know, they practice every day against Derrick Henry. Maybe Derrick Henry's not been practicing as much because <laughs> this defense has not been as good against the run. It's still okay. It's middle of the pack, really, maybe slightly above average if we're really giving them all the full credit for the work they've done. But, man, Zach Moss, the last time he faced this team, that was in week five, his last game as the full-time starter for the Colts. And, man, he thrashed them for 165 yards and two rushing touchdowns on 23 carries don't quite expect that but yeah there's a good opportunity for moss to push for 100 yards and a touchdown this weekend i'm thinking 50 percent plus chalk on this guy in dfs large field contest this weekend he's 4300 dollars on DraftKings. so it's one of those plays though where it's hard still to get away from because you're like well i mean even if he just scores 12 points i'm still okay like at 4300 dollars, you score 12 15 points i'm good so I'm interested to hear what you guys are doing. If you're playing any DFS this weekend, you know, Chris, I mean, are you going to stick with Moss? And uh, we can come back to Kyron Ian. I'm going to stick with Moss. I mean, I think he's just one of those plays at that price, like you just mentioned, that you just, you play him, you expect him to be 75%, 100%. I don't care what your ownership like levels are, like ownership level tolerance is going to be and what field size you're playing in. You just play him for the opportunity and then you just try and find ways to differentiate your lineup like yeah. around that. And looking at just this slate from a whole, I know we're not like, this is not a DFS show or anything like that, but if you're thinking about just how, like what the wide receiver landscape looks like for this week, the tight end landscape right now with some of the injuries going on, like Trey McBride, like so on and so forth, and not having some of those like juggernaut, like high end players, like also on this, uh, like for the main slate for Sunday, I think there are some ways that you can kind of, you know, find some of those lower, uh, lower rostered guys, but it's just going to be one that's like some of those gross plays, man, that you're going to have to, you know, kind of just look at it and just look at the name and be like, who the heck is this guy? And then, you know, put, throw them, toss them onto your roster. But no, but to your point, uh, for, for Zach Moss, I mean, you like, his usage and like the opportunity that he was given during those like that four ish five week stretch like without JT can't like can't find that type of volume like anywhere else. But even when JT came back, he was still mirroring some of like Jonathan Taylor's uh, efficiency marks like from a adjusted yards per carry rushing success rate. I mean, insert metric here we were still seeing zach moss replicate some of what he was still able to do when he had that volume so for them to go back to him and like actually like plus up some of his workload uh, yeah i mean he's has to be like one of the guys that if you're able to stack him on waivers because i know that there were some folks talking about the fact that you know in their leagues he was dropped for whatever reason i mean those are the types of guys i mean i know that you and i had hammered zach charbonnet in the waivers for weeks with the contingency upside between him and Kenneth Walker. But Zach Moss kind of fell into that same criteria because yeah. if, if, an injury, if an injury were to happen, this is the guy that benefits. And looking at Moss's like schedule through the playoffs, that Cincinnati the week afterwards, you know you can run on them, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Raiders. I mean, all matchups that from a rushing efficiency standpoint, I mean, you should be able to get over on each of them. But even just if the offense continues to operate as it has over the past two weeks, you know that Moss is going to be the one to get those red zone touches, the money touches. So yeah, like Moss for, for certain, like if you were able to stumble on him, hold him or whatever, I mean, you've got to be looking at just a, a solid shot and making a run through the playoffs.
I think that last point Chris made is really the part that's almost been lost on a lot of people. I mean, this Colts offense this year, they've scored exactly 162 points, which is the same exact total as the Texans and the Chiefs. So, yeah, no Anthony Richardson really hasn't been all that much of a problem with Gardner Minshew with help from his friends keeping on, keeping on. Obviously, having that, you know, pretty bad defense on the other side of the ball has helped matters as well. So, overall, in our Fancy Life consensus ranks, which you can find for free at FancyLife.com, we do have both guys starting in more lineups than not. Moss coming in as the consensus RB16 and Kyron all the way up there at RB7. So with Kyron, you know, Dwayne, again, don't have maybe that 90% plus role we were hoping for. But as long as he keeps getting force fed in the passing game, and honestly, man, don't think it's the biggest coincidence. We've seen Matthew Stafford's average target depth nosedive closer to six yards after coming back from injury. And just the way things are setting up, only Kamara, CMC, Austin Eckler, and Rashad White are averaging more PPR points per game than Williams from purely receiving production. So Tough matchup, Dwayne, against this Cleveland Browns defense that has been brutal on opposing running backs all year long. But, you know, when you're Kyron with these 20-plus touches, more likely than not coming your way, I think our RB7 consensus rank reflects the reality needs to be in lineups of all shapes and sizes. Yeah, for sure. And with Kyron, we could also see him get back to being, you know, really that 80% snap player that we saw before the injury. Um, Royce Freeman is a guy they might continue to work in, but he's not a guy like you just feel like you got to be forcing out there. Kyron is obviously, obviously the bigger play threat. Um, believe me, defensive coordinators are saying thank you for any moment that Kyron Williams is no longer on the field with as well as he's played this year. And the other positive, even if like the snap rates don't get all the way back to where they were, he's still getting a lot of the high leverage work. Uh, you know, his, his role inside the five yard line is one of the best in the NFL. So yeah, smaller guy. But that doesn't always mean you can't score a touchdown. So, guys, stop with that argument. It gets so old when I hear the, oh, I done weigh 200 pounds, not going to get the carries inside the five. Like, remember Jamal Charles? Like, Kyron Williams is out here doing his thing as well. And then whenever you look at the work and the passing game, he was still the primary two-minute offense back in this last game. So even if he gives up a little bit in the snap department, he's typically on the field for all the high-leverage stuff where most of our fantasy points come into play. So yeah, he is fine. Next two matchups are tough. You already mentioned the Browns, then you get the Ravens. But after that, things get a little better. But the utilization is so great. It's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, it's got a tougher matchup. It doesn't really matter. You got to have him in your lineup. And we will see about the Browns, uh, as always, on Friday edition of this podcast. Matthew Friedman and I will go through all the fantasy-relevant injuries. And even though we don't spend a ton of time on the defensive issues, we do highlight the big ones. And Lordy, Miles Garrett, and Denzel Ward certainly qualify as big ones. Question number two, gentlemen, is it finally, and by finally, I mean, you know, it's been like two or three weeks, Taysom Hill boom week with the Saints dealing with all sorts of injuries at wide receiver. Michael Thomas is on IR, Rashid Shahid is expecting to be out this week. Chris Olave may start the week with a limited practice session, but this is his third documented concussion since 2020. So maybe he gets the Brock Purdy, Alexander Madison one week treatment. But again, more just examples to not tell us that Olave should be missing this week. So Dwayne, man going once you start going through like at the actual process with six teams on by of ranking tight ends i don't think you need more than one hand to count the number of guys you want to be starting ahead of Taysom hill this week which is wild for a lot of you to hear i'm sure because i don't know who the hell is setting these projections at a lot of these sites out there but you'll see Taysom buried at like a 2.9 yeah i don't get it uh projection Dwayne. i don't get it either because again i'm looking at all of our ranks and you and me have them as tight end five in freeman and was tight end six Taysom Hill should be starting in every single league out there, and he's still available in a lot of leagues out there. Yeah, man, he's averaging 10 and a half opportunities per game if we had dropbacks, rushing attempts, and targets over the last six games. So 
show me another tight end that gets a chance to touch the ball 10 and a half times. Now, I know you don't get an immediate point for a drop back, but you get a chance for a scramble or to throw a pass. So he's just more involved than most tight ends in the NFL as far as what we can expect his opportunities to look like. It is a little bit game script dependent. If they're getting blown out like we saw two weeks ago, there is that situation where we might not see Taysom as much. Also, for him to really go off, you need the carries inside the five-yard line, which means the Saints need to get inside the five-yard line, which they did not last weekend. So there are some things that he depends on to hit his upside, but still just the opportunities alone give him a pretty solid floor. And I'm with you, Ian, looking at all the injuries to the Saints. I think they design a game plan this weekend that is going to be very much centered around Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill. Now, maybe Chris Olave can get back. We've seen a few players here recently have the concussion on Sunday and make it back for the following week. Early in the season, we never saw. It's funny how that works whenever it's like a quarterback that you don't have a backup for, or you're like, crap, everybody else on the team's hurt. I guess he's going to pass concussion protocol. So there's still something kind of weird going on with that. But we'll see what happens with Olave. But even if he's back, if you have Rashid Shahid out, and then you just got a game that they really need to win. And I think that Taysom is one of the better options they have. But if Chris Olave's out, man, like we could see him in one of those games where he gets four or five targets to go along with seven, eight rushing attempts. And if he scores a touchdown and then you get lucky and he happens to throw a passing touchdown to Juwan Johnson, we would take that. That could <laughs> yeah. be really interesting uh, in your TFS lineups. Chris, you have Taysom Hill at tight end and Juwan Johnson yeah. uh, in your flex. Uh, that would be pretty funny if that won the Millie Maker. That's a uh, but yeah, right I'm with there. you. He's in my he's my he's a top tight end uh, for me in this weekend. He's my tight end five like you and and not just tight ends. If Chris Olave is out, he's ranked too low consensus wide period, like for all flex plays. We're talking wide receiver, Mm -hmm. running back and tight end. I'm 11 spots ahead of overall rank against consensus against consensus. I have him as a top 65 option this week. Most sites have him at top 75 or lower. And like you said, Ian, there are places where I've seen him as low as like 120. So I'm way higher on Taysom Hill than most folks besides you. Of course, of course. And hey, give the man credit because as great as those opportunities have been, Dwayne, he's doing a lot of great stuff with them. Five yards per carry, that's 12th among 64 players regardless of position with at least 50 carries. He's already caught a career-high 24 passes. Last week, he was even making like contested off-script plays with Derek Carr, you know, getting out of the pocket downfield. 12 yards per pass attempt. Only six passes, but still, guys, making the most out of the opportunities. Chris, I can confirm via Pro Football Reference that Taysom Hill's nickname is the Mormon Missile. Are you buying it, man? Because right now, we're literally talking about Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Sam Laporta, Trey McBride, pending this groin injury. And that's it, man. That's Those are the only guys Dwayne and I have ahead of him. I do think Evan Ingram, Jake Ferguson, Dalton Schultz, if he wasn't dealing with the hamstring issue, those are the guys where if you wanted to say like, okay, I think I would still want them over Taysom, that's fine because they are full-time pass-catching first tight ends and good passing games. But after that, man, like again, even if you're a Taysom Hill hater, my point is, Chris, I don't think you could rank them lower than like tight end seven or tight end eight. Now, and uh, hold on a minute. <laughs> the Mormon missile, I, I, I need... Firm. Confirmed. I need somebody to describe, like, to detail the genesis of this nickname because <laughs> I feel like that, it should be more like the the Mormon Masher or something. He's Mormon. Yeah, he he runs like a missile. What's what's so hard yeah, about? He's this? not a missile. He's, he's more of a missile. He's more of a run you over guy. Like yeah, a missile yeah, or like, a rocket is like Rahib, you know, Ishmael. He's not a the rocket. jackhammer. Jackhammer. <laughs> yeah. If, even if you want to, even if you want to keep it, you know, with the M Mormon, like the masher, the Mormon masher, that's sure. what, that's what I'm I going think with. that, I think that fits a bit more. Cause like, I think that you know, starts like, to go against the religion a little bit, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> Cause you, you know, can't like one of the people, but you can shoot missiles. If you're Mormon, that's true. 
Jesus. Well, that is right. true. Well, I guess it's, we not kosher. Boys. No, it's not kosher. It's not a thing. That's not that's not for Mormons, right? Kosher is not. That's not the right thing. Oh, what have I done? Be... What have I yeah, done? The direction of this podcast. You've derailed uh, the whole show. Wait I know because it's well, it's just wild to me because you like one of Dax uh, nicknames is the Fortress. And I'm like, yes. where did that even come from? Like, how do you like? I, I just need to know how these people come up with these nicknames and like where they come. All right, all right let's get I've back. I've never even heard that for Dak. Yeah, you better. It's get, like check grab the wheel. football reference rate. Like, check it out. I was. This makes no sense. But okay, Taysom Hill. Uh, if we know at least from a tight end perspective that, like, we can we can abide by not as many targets like in between the twenties, right? Because like, what was it? Tucker Craft just over like Thanksgiving. Not a lot of work you know, when they were in between the 20s, but like, as long as you get those money touches, as long as you're getting targets and opportunities inside the 20, inside the 10, you can wind up being a top 12 tight end. And for Taysom Hill, like nobody has had more opportunities, like once his team gets in the red zone, than Taysom Hill, 26 uh, red zone opportunities, or red zone touches like so far this season, that is the most of any non running back like in the league so far, like his gap. So he's had, he has 26, Stefan Dix has 15, so that's a gap of about 11. So that's the, the from first to second. The same gap, so if you go from 11 down, like from 15 to four, that's the same gap between Stefan Diggs and Tyler Boyd. I mean, just like, think about that range of like of players like right there between the guys that are getting those the 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 fantasy production that we need to what we're not seeing like right now. And if Hill is going to continue to get that, despite the uh, decreased route rate. He's still running about 12 to 13 routes per game, but the route rate is declining with Juwan Johnson on the field. And that's fine. If we're still going to get, like Dwayne was saying, three, four, five targets to go with six, seven, eight rushing attempts as well. I, again, I don't see how you can rank him outside of your top five tight ends versus, or at least uh, not even thinking about the rest of the flex plays. Like if we don't see Chris Olave on the field on Sunday. Dwayne also mentioned in passing, but guys like Jawan Johnson is also in play this week as well. We have both these Saints tight ends as consensus top 12 options at the position. Jawan Johnson ahead of names like Logan Thomas, Kyle Pitts, Kate Otten, amongst others. League, not not league high, season high 85% route rate last week for Jawan, set a season high snaps in the slot. He plays like a wide receiver, and when you don't have any more wide receivers, with all due respect to my fellow Lynn Bowden truthers out there, you start relying more and more on guys like Jawan Johnson. And so good stuff there, fellas. Let's move on to question number three. What exactly can we trust in this Kyler Murray-led Cardinals offense? Because hate to break the bad news, everyone. You already know it if you're reading Dwayne McFarlane's utilization report. Now I don't know why you wouldn't be. So maybe I'm telling you what you already know. But James Conner went down just 39% of the offensive snaps last week. Yes, that was influenced a bit by some fourth quarter blowout game script. Michael Carter got a lot more involved late. But even just the first three quarters of action, 59% of far from again that 80% 90% plus rates that we saw you know just a year or two ago as the lead back so not saying you can't start Connor but he's certainly not the must start volume induced RB2 that we've seen in past years much more of this you know top 25 top 30 option as long as Amari DiMercato and Michael Carter are going to make things annoying we have Kyler and that's great he's had a QB 13 QB 6 QB 10 finishes since coming back scored a rushing touchdown in each game low end QB 1 I love it but Dwayne as we kind of mentioned 
on a Sunday night pod, man, hasn't exactly been firing on all cylinders as a passer. PFF's, you know, 28th highest graded quarterback. He's 32nd in EPA per dropback, 36th in completion percentage over expected. He does have a very high average target depth, 9.5 yards. That's top five. So we are naturally going to see some decreases in the accuracy department there. But Dwayne, when we're looking at Marquise Brown, when we're looking at Trey McBride, when we're even looking at Greg Dorch and Rondale Moore, like we haven't even seen the target share that, again, hasn't exactly been of the most accurate variety, being focused on the top two options like maybe we thought. This reminds me a little bit almost of like Washington, where we thought it was much more so going to be the Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson show. But as we saw, you know, we end up getting way more Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas than expected. So smaller sample here, Dwayne, but like what is your trust level on these Cardinals pass game options? More so the wide receivers, because Trey McBride, as we mentioned last time, pretty much a consensus top five option, especially with confirmation that Zach Ertz is now completely out of the picture for the rest of the season. I mean, I'm confident. I mean, I, I think the big picture thing, like I think there's two separate conversations for Kyler, right? And you mentioned this on Sunday night when we did our, when we did our pod, there's the NFL version of what can Kyler be? And then there's, Hey, we're just trying to play fantasy football here. <laughs> and so for fantasy football purposes, he's had two games where he's been right at 250 yards passing. And if you can do that, historically, you've been a quarterback capable of supporting two weapons in your offense. Once you get below that, it starts to turn into more Maybe you can support one player, but two is kind of a stretch, and we've seen that a lot this year. We've had some passing attacks that have kind of fallen apart from a standpoint of supporting multiple weapons because there's just not enough yards to go around, i.e. Yeah. like a big one I think of is the Steelers. There's others we could name, but I don't think we're in danger of that with Kyler. And when I look at, you know, Marquise Brown, the utilization, you know, this can happen where you just, you know, you can have a three, four game stretch where you're just not getting all the targets. And in week 12, we actually did see him snap back with a 27% target share. He scored 15 fantasy points. He was the wide receiver 22 on the week. So I think, I think Marquise is due for a big blow up game, especially if we have a situation where Trey McBride's not 100%. looks like he's not going to practice again today due to the growing injury. So that could be another boost for Marquise Brown. We'll also see what happens with Michael Wilson. That's what's opened up the door for Greg Dorch to who knew in the year 2023, that Greg Dorch would be a guy that could play outside and all over the field. I will say you have to give this guy credit. Every time he's out there, he seems to earn targets. So if Dorch is playing and Wilson isn't, I mean, I'm not going to say like he's a guy you trust, but he's going to be super cheap if you're playing DFS. But the other big name is obviously Trey McBride. And if he's on the field, I don't think, like you mentioned, Ian, we don't need to tell anyone if he's out there, <laughs> you should be playing him. And honestly, Trey McBride, like, again, I know we're not trying to completely shift a DFS show, but like mm. some of my attention shifts here because like a lot of the season long stuff, you know, I have leagues that I'm out of now and it's like, oh, hey, where do I put my attention? I have more time to play. You didn't win DFS. every league, Dwayne. Why do we listen to you? Then? <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to lose. This is going to be my worst fantasy season uh, in 12 years. So oh. I'm probably going to lose about 15K. So we got that going oh. for us. Okay. So it's going to be, yeah, it's, it's going to be really <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's still, it's still way in the black for, you know, I haven't lost in 12 years. So you're, you I was go. due for a big down year, but definitely going to have to uh, watch the film this offseason, Ian, and get better. I'll tell you what, way too much Calvin Ridley and Deontay Johnson. I can sum it up pretty that'll much with that. Oh, uh, that'll do we'll, it. We'll, yeah. yeah, we'll break that stuff down more later in another episode. But McBride, the one thing I want to say, it's like the market still hasn't caught up. And over on DraftKings right now, you can get him for $4,900. I mean, that just shouldn't be a possibility. If you had a wide receiver that you could go get right now in DFS that was averaging 8.8 .8 targets a game and 14.8 fantasy points, how much would he cost? 
he would cost you 6,500 to 7,500. He's still yeah. 4,900. This is a guy that you can actually play in your flex position. You could play Jawan Johnson for cheap at 3,300 at tight end and play Trey, Mc, Trey McBride at 4,900 is better than any wide receiver that you can start in that flex spot. So I have loved it because I've used him in the flex like two or three times over the last three to four games. And it's worked out really nicely for me. So hopefully, hopefully Trey McBride, come on, man. Come on. You've been too good. We've got the growing injury, though, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. I have him right now in 15 spots ahead of consensus uh, for the industry. He's my number 50 player overall in the ranks. Growing. Dwayne, we're not growing anything. I was going to ask. like, I don't even know what I'm saying wrong, and I don't care. I'm going to keep saying it. Growing. Is that like a Texas thing? Like growing? I just got to ask I was just I, I, I'm on a show with a guy that says David Montgomery, and I've never said one. I'm working on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not working on this. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. Gruen. Like, I don't know what you're saying. Groin. Groin. That's, I mean, what that else? better. Saying? You're saying growing. We're not well, growing anything. It's, it's a body part. Yeah, there's no G on it. Growing. No. Right. Growing. Gro- growing. Growing. You know what? Let's just move the hell on. (laughs) Question number four. That hurts me in the growing, like when you say it. (laughs) Question number four. Chris, is Devin Singletary suddenly a must-start RB1? Because that was the case without Damian Pierce. We saw three straight weeks, 75% of the Texans' offensive snaps, 81%, 85%. And then Damian Pierce came back, and guess what? Didn't matter. Still an 81% snap rate for Devin Singletary inside of this suddenly high-octane Texans offense, now facing the bottom two run defense that is the Denver Broncos. So, yes, we have seen their defense improve mightily ever since, you know, the first six weeks. Though over the course of this five-game win streak, they're actually fourth and just overall EPA allowed per play. Offense hasn't exactly been, you know, catching up and doing much better things than they were in the first six weeks. But credit where credit is due, and the Broncos are ripping off the wins. But again, Chris, just with Singletary, do you think that Week 12 usage was warranted and just evidence that Singletary is now the clear lead back in Houston? Or maybe a bit of a game plan script Fugazi type of scenario? Uh, somewhere in between because Damian Pierce, like considering he missed some time with an ankle injury, I'm hard pressed to believe that we're going to continue to see Pierce at just like 18% of the snaps, like for the rest of the, for the rest of the season. That's, that's kind of difficult for me to at least picture. Uh, but looking at the, the run out for, uh, for the Texans running backs, like for the rest of the season to get, like you mentioned, Denver this week, Jets the week after. That's another tough out. Two matchups against Tennessee. And then they got about against Cleveland. I think that's in like week 16, if memory serves. So with the Miles Garrett injury, that Cleveland run defense could or couldn't be something that we would want to target uh, from a running back standpoint. So looking out over the rest of the season, yeah, I think RB1. That might be a little high. I think somewhere in like the low end or like high end RB2 range. I think just because of the the target share. Let's say he continues on with this 40-ish percent like running back like workload. Assuming like Damian Pierce gets back up to at least a a relatively normal workload or like they start to split, uh, they start to split the snaps a bit more. It's been Singletary that's been getting the targets. I mean, last week, I mean, just like six targets. I mean, the regardless of what type of scenario or situation that we're looking at early downs. I mean, they almost uh, Singletary got the uh, like almost a split backfield, like four or five carries, like between the, between the two of them, but almost like five, six targets, like for Singletary. Like once it got in the goal line, like once it got into the red zone, I mean, it was like, again, semi split, but still Singletary wins out on the touch count because he's the one that's getting targeted uh, by CJ Stroud. So if we're looking at the rest of the pass catching options, like for the Texans at this point, 
Dalton Schultz missing practice. Tank Dell missed practice yesterday, but he got in a practice like earlier today. So if we are seeing some of the Texans uh, pass catching options banged up or limited in the least, when that at least gives us another avenue for Devin Singletary to now pick up a bit more work along with what he's already getting from uh, from the backfield as well. So, yeah, I think he's pretty solid, like moving forward. He does seem cemented as the lead pass down back, and it was that case even before the Pierce injury. And, Dwayne, you know, again, we can find all that stuff in the handy-dandy game log section of our free, everyone, freaking free utilization report tools. But the other really cool tab on there that, you know, people should be checking out is Team Styles, where you can actually go week by week, you know, whatever team you want to look at and see just their overall pace, how pass-heavy are they. And my favorite part is the drop-back rate over expected. Yeah, pass rate over expected is cool, but what about the sacks? That's why we use drop-back. So, Dwayne, when I look at this, man, and we can only look team by team, so I can't confirm that this is the most volatile offense on a week-by-week basis, but, man, we really have seen the Texans be more than willing to change their identity in terms of being pass first or run first based on the opponent. I mean, when they came out of their buy in week eight, they were playing a Panthers team that they knew they could run on. And accordingly, they had a negative 12% drop back rate over expected in the game that they lost. And I know this is accounting for, you know, game script and stuff like that, but they play the Bucks the next week, a team that we know you can throw on plus 8%. They play the Bengals. Chris knows better than all of us how terrible they are stopping the run. Back to negative 5%. Play the Cardinals pretty neutral. Cardinals suck at everything. But then last week, man, plus 15% against the Jaguars defense that we have seen for most of the season be much better against the run than the pass. So, Dwayne, against the Broncos... Not great overall, but I do think it's fair to say they're going to be looking to attack that front seven more than Patrick Sertan, uh, uh, the second. God, why are some people the second and why people are junior? Let's focus on that another day. But, Dwayne, what do you think is going to go on here? Because, again, they're flipping back and forth. And if Damian, I'm sorry, if Devin Singletary is truly still just a pass down back, we would expect their rushing touches and thus the fancy shit we get, we care about to be much more even this week and a matchup where presumably they're not trying to throw the ball as much. Yeah, I think it's just hard to get overly behind Singletary right now. It's not that we don't like him or we don't appreciate all the things that he's done. And you bring up really good points around the way that, you know, Bobby Slowick has run the offense. It makes sense. Hey, let's do uh, let's go after what the other team is bad at. And Novel let's, concept. You know, let's, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go after the mismatches. Now, that also tells you that the Texans do have a bit of a balanced offense. They've got a scheme where they can do a lot of different things. And so maybe some coordinators need to think about that as well. You know, you got to be someone that can do everything. So. Looking at Singletary, my biggest concern is if they get into one of these games where they do need to run the ball, and you talked about the matchup this weekend, if there's one thing you can still do against Denver now that their pass defense is so good, you can still run the ball on them. They are terrible against the run, and that's ultimately pushing Singletary up the ranks on many sides. So I'm below consensus. I have him as my 45th overall player. He's 38th overall overall in the industry, but it's just due to some of my concerns that we could actually see Pierce get half of the work on the ground, maybe even more than that. So I, I I just struggle a little bit with it. And the other the other thing for me is I think there's this chance that it could be an inside the five role that they give to Pierce. There's just so many different ways it could go. Now, if if we come out and see Singletary do the same thing, gets 50 to 60 percent of the rushing attempts and all the snaps again this week, then I think moving forward, like it's great. You can just go ahead and go with it. We do have six teams on by. So even though I've moved Singletary down, he's still a borderline running back two for me. I've got him as my running back 25. 
Must-star RB1, definitely strong words. Want to keep you guys on your toes, of course. But, Dwayne, I'm with you. Not exactly someone that needs to be in lineups of all shapes and sizes, but given the matchup, it really is tough to move him that much further down the ranks, especially when we start looking at him at guys against, you know, Joe Mixon or the Steelers RBs or A.J. Dillon, who, yeah, could you, you know, talk your way around them having just a bit more guaranteed volume? Sure, but, you know, they aren't getting to play in an offense led by C.J. freaking Stroud out there. So, good stuff there, Gentlemen, question number five now is criticism of Justin Herbert's win loss record warranted again, going a bit more real life here because we know Herbert, especially with the way he's been running lately, still very much doing good things in fantasy land more weeks than not. Yeah. Can't smash against the Ravens who does smash against the Ravens. And we also got Keenan Allen doing his thing out there. So Austin Eckler not been spectacular. We can talk about his, you know, rate of hitting 13 miles per hour on his runs and all that at the end of the day, even a bad, you know, stretch for Austin Eckler is still yielding you know, low-end RP1 performances more weeks than not. So just overall thoughts on this passing game, Chris, because again, it's one of these situations where Herbert just is such a lightning rod guy, I feel like, to talk about because we see like smart football minds, you know, people, you know, I think we all really respect the Benjamin Solicks and Steven Ruiz's over at the ringer of the world. And, you know, when they rank him as a top five real life quarterback, I think people look at him and say, how can that be the case when the guy, you know, is under 500 now as a starter throughout his career? But I do tend to side on this is a dude that, you know, if you really wanted to sit down and rank the quarterbacks, Chris, I'm not so sure you will need that second hand. No, you probably don't. And the funny thing about Austin Eckler. So right now, like Eckler is at like 420, 430 rushing yards uh, total right now for the season. Uh, Devin A. Chain has more and hasn't played in about a solid month of six weeks. Uh, Not so good. Not so good. good. no, I, I can't I can't put too much blame at the feet of Justin Herbert. I, I think uh, so. Like since you mentioned uh, Solak, like his piece earlier this week, um, like on the on the Chargers. Honestly, I feel like my Bengals are probably headed in the same direction, uh, to be quite honest, uh, because if you look at just how like what they built around Herbert and like the allure of having a good quarterback, a good to above average to like, you know, let's say bordering on elite. I won't put him in like the same category as like the Mahomes and like all those guys, but the players that they've gotten around him just from offensive drafting so far, I, what they spent a fourth rounder on Isaiah Spiller, a third rounder on Josh Palmer, uh, the first rounder on Quentin Johnston. That's mm-hmm. solid drafting. Like right there, Joe oh. Reed, KJ Hill, Larry Roundtree, uh, what they bring over Gerald Everett. I mean, who was like our guy hey, over the <laughs> off season? Take it easy, <laughs> but Chris. But I know, but it's just like they like this is what the team has done. Like this is what they've they've provided a like on a on a rookie quarterback contract in order to push their offense forward. Meanwhile, this year alone, top twelve in spending on for both linebackers and uh, and their DB room, and they are bottom five, bottom seven in EPA per dropback and passing success rate. So it's just I. I still think Justin Herbert's a good quarterback. I still think real life and for fantasy purposes. Uh, I mean, but just the circumstances around him, the 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 foundation of like what is supposed to be, uh, what's what is supposed to create a good quarterback moving forward has just been faulty from the jump. And I think it's going to be a hard. We're like we're getting close to the you know Keenan Allen's going to be getting like much older. Don't know what to think about Mike Williams, even QJ to be quite honest. So I, I still think he's going to be one of those guys that we're going, we're always going to want to draft. We're always going to want to roster. 
uh, even like 2024 and beyond. But it's just that how this team is built is just so fundamentally flawed that we're just not going to have a lot of faith in some of the pieces around him. Like, I still think Herbert's probably going to be a top 10 quarterback or at least drafted that way next year. But outside of Keenan Allen, who else are we really going to be pushing up from an ADP standpoint? And I think that's my, my biggest concern for the Chargers offense moving forward. Especially if they come back with the same group of guys, I think people are going to be drafting. They probably you know, are a little bit scared based on what we've been going through this year because it really hasn't been good around him. I went ahead and just tried to do. It's not. It's not a perfect study. You know, I'm not using regressions or anything, guys. And I didn't even use a model. I just use a regular Excel sheet. I still haven't found these models that everyone uh, manages to use and talk about. But all I did was I took every team's PFF team offensive grades and rushing, receiving, pass blocking, and run blocking, and took that average everything except passing. So by this, the bottom five supporting cast in the league from worst to the fifth worst the giants the jets the panthers then the chargers and jaguars and again i do think injuries have played a role in this they probably wouldn't be so bad receiving if they had a healthy mike williams all season long but just does go to show you that especially in justin herbert's and trevor lawrence's case haven't gotten maybe as much help from the rest of their friends as maybe just looking at those who's making this argument that he's not good. Like, I don't know who the... You've been who, on Twitter? Who, I don't know, man. A lot of people. I just... That's wild. That's wild. Like, it's just I stupid. The, I, I mean, the I guy, the the guy is question. averaging... Yeah. We don't even have to use advanced stats. He's averaging 282 yards passing for his career. It's like, uh, is he, he top five good? That's the question. Does he need to be? I mean... I don't think he, he doesn't even need to be. Hey, well, and, and look, there's a sliding scale as to what we're calling really good versus, you know, I mean, sometimes in the league, we've got eight really good quarterbacks. Other times, we've got four really good quarterbacks. I think he's a really good quarterback. And, you know, I mean, if you want to, however you want to argue it, whether you want him at five, six, seven, or eight, doesn't matter. Yeah. I think he's a really good quarterback. And his data tells us that. I mean, 1.9 touchdowns per game, um, 0.7 interceptions per, per game. He throws touchdowns. He doesn't turn the ball over. He gets yards. Guess what the number one correlated stat to winning football games is? It's yards per attempt. It's all about passing. So I just I don't I don't get I don't get the argument. I, I could see how you want to slice and dice if we're trying to say it has to be the top five. But I'm like Chris, like why do we really have to say that? And and you know I as bad as the Chargers have been drafting, I don't think his weapons are bad. I think a big part of it really just is the injuries. Like if you have Mike Williams. Yeah. Yes, Quentin Johnson looks like a bust right now, but they tried. They tried taking a first-round receiver, and there were things about Quentin Johnson that we really liked. It just so happens the dude doesn't look like he can play football so far. Now, we're still early in the career, so he could definitely turn around. Remember how bad Devontae Adams was for two seasons. Now, I know we can't use that as our example. We can't use the exceptions to make you know the, the guys that break out late even after they suck early to be the exception for every player. But it is early for Quentin Johnston. We knew he had some problems with his hands. That's mostly what showed up, and that's caused Justin Herbert to not trust him. But I don't think that means that he can't be a big play receiver down the field. I don't think that means he can't be a big play receiver after the catch. If I were the Chargers, I would be feeding Quentin Johnston at the line of scrimmage. They've done yeah. some of that, but you need to find a way to get his confidence up, man. And just, just let him go out there and just catch the ball and run. Like, he can still mm -hmm. do that. Let him get that going and then try to build on the other facets of his game. Um, but I, I don't necessarily blame the Chargers with the weapons they've put around Justin Herbert. I think they've tried. Keenan Allen's really good. Mike Williams, they re-upped and paid money for. And they spent a first-round pick. And they spent money on Gerald Everett. Have all the picks and, and, the, and the stuff worked out? No, but they've tried. I think it's just more of a in the moment like type of thing. Because yeah. like, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you can go back to the draft and be like, all right, well, they drafted Quinn and Johnston. But then it was like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison like went right after that. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's, a, it's a wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> but they tried. It, yeah, they, they tried. And so I think like in the moment now, looking back at it, it's almost like the same thing. Like, oh, well, the Panthers could have CJ Stroud and they took Bryce Young instead. And so it's in the moment. But the intent like, was there. The intent, yeah. the intent to surround yeah. Justin Herbert with quality weapons was there. And that that's the main thing I'm looking at. Now, obviously, we don't just drudge. We don't we can't just judge like a GM and a a front office on intent. Like you can have the best intentions and still have a really crappy team. So I, I, I totally get the nuance of it, but there were a lot of people that thought Quentin Johnston was going to be a good receiver in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But do you think, and this was kind of the second, because again, okay, good. We're all on the same page here. Justin Herbert, really freaking good at football. Anyone that doesn't think that, watch the game, look at the stats, whatever you want to do. But Dwayne, I mean, it does come back to the idea. One thing that I think you've done a really good job preaching that maybe I pushed it back against more over the years is like, we need to prioritize the talent of the wide receiver over the perceived offensive environment. And look, like, we're going to miss on guys like Quentin Johnson. I'm not saying if you thought he was talented and now it's turning out that's not going so well. Like, yeah, we're not going to be one hundred percent on that either but when you look at these offenses trying to make you know i know he's coming off a big week but trying to make gabe davis happen in buffalo or Khalil shakur and these other guys or the countless wide receivers post tyree kill that we keep hoping well you know work out in kc to now you know quentin johnston and last year joshua palmer and whatever else whatever the hell else is going on with the chargers like Dwayne, when you're going through this like I know we usually look at running back as being the more offensive environment, you know, induced position, but really, man, it just seems like more and more a wide receiver. Like who's the last, just not very good wide receiver. We saw get propped up by an offensive environment, man. Cause the more it's going, these just seem to be the biggest red flag, red flag dudes out there. Yeah. It doesn't happen unless you play the slot then. And and occasionally you will get like just a fluky season by a guy on the outside, but it's usually touchdown related. And then the touchdowns regress and it goes away. So, yeah, I think that we have to stick to our guns on the talent stuff. The problem is after you get past like all the most talented players, you start getting into all these little micro intersections of where you might find value in a, in a fantasy, you know, player that you're drafting. And, you know, there are players that don't necessarily qualify as bad talents, but they're kind of maybe middle of the road talents that are in good offenses. And that's where it gets more dicey because you can sometimes see guys get lifted, you know, by being in that pass first kind of offense with a good quarterback. We've also seen really talented guys get completely squashed because their offense is so bad. I mean, Deontay Johnson, there's no doubt about it. Like the dude is a really, really good wide receiver. Does he have his flaws? Yes. Does he drop, uh, you know, three-step touchdowns? Yes, he does. Does he, you know, come up small sometimes in big moments. Those are all things that you can nitpick about Deontay Johnson, but like show me wide receivers that get open as much as he does. Show me what other wide receivers in the league that can earn as many targets as he does consistently year after year. And yet he can still come up fantasy small. Why? Because the quarterback's so bad. But then we have other situations in where we've got a quarterback like Sam Howell playing out of his mind. And you're telling me we can't get a top 12 finish out of Terry McLaurin, who we know is good. There's just so many factors that go into this game. And that's why we love it, because you can never fully solve it. If we all just knew everything, it would get boring. But because of the variance, we play with a ball that's not round. Things just don't always bounce your way. It's what keeps us coming back for more. So it's kind of a catch-22 thing. We want to be as accurate as we can. But the fact that we can't ever fully get it down is what makes it fun. But I do agree that talent has to be the number one thing. It's especially at wide receiver that you're looking at. I just wish everyone would have listened to me in August when I said draft all the awesome players and great offenses who won't get hurt at any point during the season. Guys, come on. <laughs> Fancy doesn't have to be all that hard. Uh, last note on Sam Howell, just because I found the stat before he got on here. Only quarterback in the NFL per PFF with at least 20 big-time throws and at least 20 turnover-worthy plays. 
is Sam Howell. Vanilla Jameis stand up. All right, question oh. number six, guys. Is Rasheed Rice finally a weekly must-start wide receiver too? Chris, we'll start with you. Coming off-season high marks and targets with 10, receptions with 8, and yards with 107. Like, I know he's been someone kind of in the waiver wire columns we've been touching on throughout the year because when he's gotten his opportunities, particularly in after-the-catch situations, he's looked fantastic out there. Coming out of the bye week, though, we didn't exactly see a bump in usage, and it's worth noting when he did get this bump in usage, it came with Miko Hardman and Kadarius Tony out. I know, I know, it's Miko Hardman and Kadarius Tony, but you know what? They've been rotating six, seven guys all year. It would make sense if when they return, we see Rice's role go a little bit back down. So where are you on this, Chris? Because on this, on the other side of things, we did have that report from uh, Diana Rossini, I think, who was saying that like Andy Reid straight up said, we need more out of the position. We talked up our younger guys. Where do you fall on this, Chris? Because I'm kind of torn. Like, is this the now the next second half breakout rookie wide receiver who, like, hey, yeah, weeks one through eleven happened. Let's focus on what's happening now, and that's Rasheed Rice being maybe that Amon Ross St. Brown sort of you know league winner in the second half of the year. Where are you? Yeah, I think it's more of like wide receiver two. I think is fine. I'm more on the low end side of that, and that's that's more because of his usage. I mean, yeah, to your point. Uh, over 30% of the target share, season high route rate uh, in week 12. But like he like he contextualized it. No Miko Hardman, no Kadarius Tony, And of course, again, like you said, Kadarius Tony. nobody cares about him anymore. Uh, Miko Hardman, I mean, if you were relying on Miko Hardman in order to power your offense, then you're probably in dire straits as it is. But doesn't also say something about Rishi Rice and how the team feels about his development if they were still comfortable with rotating those guys in? I mean, we were legitimately talking about like last week, folks were legitimately talking about, should we play Justin Watson? Like, how do we, how do we fit Justin Watson into our DFS lineups? Like people were having that conversation last week after his what 10 target game the week prior. So there is something to, you know, the development cycle, like for wide receivers in their first year. And I think right now, like Rice is still on that path. We've only seen right now, he only has like seven of his 56 targets right now have come in the intermediate parts of the field. Mostly short stuff. Only two of his pass, two of his attempts, or two of his targets rather, have come from uh, twenty air yards or more. So it's like he relies more on the short area of the field. I think, which is fine in an offense that I mean that really does need like some of that speed in order, uh, like for Patrick Mahomes, because he has been firing like shorter area targets so far this season, uh, at least compared to like relative to the rest of his career. So I think that's fine for right now. And if we're not going to see much of Hardman this week. Still not going to see uh, much of Tony this week as well. I think from an opportunity standpoint, it's fine to have him in that wide receiver two category. But once those guys do come back and once those guys are healthy, like do we see his route rate start to fall back down? It's entirely possible. So that's where I'm more on the, okay, yeah, he's a wide receiver two for right now. But in the grand scheme of like the Chiefs offense, while Dynasty Bros and like everybody else has tried to push him into this category that they wanted to be at, I think we should at least the kind of listen to what the team is telling us in that Rice might not be there yet. And hopefully with this like greater opportunity, kind of to what Dwayne was saying earlier about, you know, just getting like Quentin Johnson out there and just peppering with targets and like letting him get a better feel for the game. And if they tr continue to do this with Rice and, you know, just because of the necessity of not having as many other wide receivers on the field, that might be what he needs in order to get to where he's at. But right now, I just don't see that, at least from where he's being used on the field. Dwayne, Girl Scout, comes sauntering to your door. She's selling Samoas, not them, and so you know she's serious because she has the real goats, not the media propaganda goats out there. 
Rasheed Rice or Josh Downs rest of the season? Who you got? Josh Downs. Oh, Dave. He's playing more. He's playing, he's playing better. I mean, he earned 13 targets last week. He has a he has an 80% role. Uh things that we've never seen from Rice. Now, the ceiling, if Rice can step into a full-time role, is higher. He plays with Patrick Mahomes. So I mean, uh, look, I, I could get the argument for either way, but I think Josh Downs is outplaying Rasheed Rice as a player that can play all over the field. Now he doesn't mostly from the slot, but it's not like what Chris was just talking about with Rice. He's, you know, he's pretty much like tethered to the line of scrimmage. And it's a lot of gimmicky type stuff, underneath zone coverage type stuff, just easy quick hitters. And it's fine. He's catching, he's paying off. So it's all good. But yeah, I like I like Josh Downs as the better player. Um, now, if Rice gets going, obviously that would be the guy that we want we would want to see. I just I just don't trust the situation. We hoped it would happen for Sky Moore last year. Obviously, Sky Moore just, you know, he's a bust right now. We can call it what it is. He's got a 14%. Uh, targets per route run on the season. He wasn't really good last year either. Rasheed Rice is getting targets, but they're all still, uh, it's not a full route tree, like Chris said. So, and I don't get it, man. Like they don't have anything else. They have Travis Kelsey and that is it. This receiving core is terrible. How can Rasheed Rice not be on the field for a full-time role? He finally, last week, I saw him catch a back shoulder fade and it was cool, but it was also like one of those things where it was like, I don't think I've seen him make a catch or even get a target like that. He did have that in his bag. At college, he was very good at getting, you know, getting separation, just a little bit of separation very late in his route once the ball's already out of the quarterback's hand and winning in a contested fashion. So I think that's there. It's something to do with the trust, though. And I think Andy Reid's offense, honestly, is pretty hard to pick up because we see a lot of guys come in and struggle with this stuff. Last note here, just, you know, giving Rice a little bit of credit here. I know it has been more of this yak-induced kind of schematic-friendly role. So because of that, you are going to see just the higher overall yards after catch pure numbers. But with all due credit to, you know, ESPN's advanced receiving metrics, only Debo Samuel has a higher yak rating. And then looking at next-gen stats, yards after the catch above expectation, he is seventh among all qualified wide receivers. So looking good out there, please, please, please start feeding him the ball just like you did last week. Fellas, question number seven now. What are we looking forward to most in the Eagles 49ers game of the week? Chris, every week at the Friday newsletter and then the corresponding article on FantasyLife.com, you break down the matchup of the week. I have not checked who it is, but I would be very surprised if it's not the Eagles and 49ers. So even at the risk of looking stupid here, what is your favorite part of this matchup, Chris, that you're looking forward to most? You are correct, sir. It is the, yeah, the Eagles. I mean, but just think about all the drama, right? Because like what, over the offseason, what Debo Samuel calling James Bradbury trash? and like all the back and forth after the nfc the the game during the playoffs you know where party busted his elbow and all that stuff but now i'm i'm really interested to see what that wide receiver uh like what the wide receiver usage is going to be for for the 49ers uh we finally saw last week debo samuel get back up to the requisite target share at least similar to what we saw in the earlier parts of the season and like we saw him ball out like we wanted to and we still got the you know the backfield touches and, and everything so it's like is this going to be Debo like reclaiming like the wide receiver one role I don't necessarily think so just because Brandon Ayuk is actually pretty fucking good right now I mean if you look at I mean think about it like this uh I mean yards per out run is one of like the like the leading metrics that folks look at yep. look at for for wide receiver efficiency uh like right now I mean Ayuk's like one of the best. I mean, 3.2 yards per route run right now. I mean, he's like behind uh, Tyreek Hill, who's like, what, like four, if memory serves or something like that, something stupid. But like Tyreek Hill has 120 targets on the season. Ayuk has 65. 
Like, I mean, how are you, like, how is he doing this on almost like half of the volume that like Hill has? I mean, just the insane yards after catch, being able to create separation. So, I mean, for, for us to say like Debo Samuel, like is the wide receiver one from a touch count, I think sure that might be fine if he gets back up to, again, like similar target share. And he'll also have like the backfield touches as well. But I mean, with the way that Ayuk has been playing this season, which is actually still building off of how he looked during the 2022 season, I still think Ayuk is going to be the, the the wide receiver one for all intents and purposes. But just seeing how well both of those play off each other, especially against the Eagles secondary, which and also the Eagles def defense as a as a whole, because I think Fletcher Cox didn't practice today as well. So right. if this is going to be a, I think it's going to be a just like. I mean, fire all the cannons. Like, if you've got any like 49ers pass catchers outside of like Juwan, you know, Juwan Jennings and all that. I mean, I think all of the uh, San Francisco uh, 49ers uh, like primary pass catchers from Ayuk to Debo, I mean, of course, CMC and even George Kittle, I think to some degree. I mean, you're going to want all those guys in your lineups this weekend. And that does seem to be the mismatch here. Look, they're both awesome. And there is, you know, credit to be given out to guys like Jalen Hurts for, you know, increasing their level of play in the, you know, clutch late game moments. But both these teams have scored exactly 310 points this season. But the Eagles have allowed an additional 76 points on defense. And we see that played out, you know, in terms of just their EPA per play. Both offenses, top eight in EPA per run and EPA per pass play. But on defense, whereas the 49ers are a top four unit overall, the Eagles come in at just 19th they're below average against the run and the pass alike so i know i know they lost what five or six starters they've had some guys banged up like this is a defense that we should have expected to not exactly be firing on all cylinders throughout the first half of the season but right now we're just talking about week 13 and i do understand why the 49ers are favored by three points despite being on the road so Dwayne, i know you've uh, talked about the 49ers pass game splits over the years in terms of brandon Ayuk being more of the man beater and debo kind of being the guy i like to get the ball to more so against zone coverages looking at Philly being a top 12 team in terms of cover one and two man usage you with Chris here and expecting a big time Ayuk blow up because as great as the season has been in terms of you know his efficiency numbers he has been quiet more weeks than not here over the past uh, five or six yeah well Ayuk has taken big steps forward this year now we've had large stints with Debo out uh, but as far as also being a big factor against zone coverage so this year, targets per route run versus man for Ayuk, 30%, Debo at 16%. Zone, 20% for Ayuk and 24% for Debo. So still a slight edge to Debo, but not quite as large as what we have seen in the past. Yep. However, I do think Debo Samuel is the key to the game. So I've written him up for my Rankings and Tears article tomorrow. I mean, since he's come back from the bye, averaging 15.7 fantasy points on 5.7 5 targets and 2.7 rushing attempts per game. And even though the Eagles have struggled some against the run here lately, we know when that defensive line is really operating at full strength and Fletcher yeah. Cox is questionable. I'm not going to say with what injury because I don't know how to pronounce that injury. Um, but whenever we look at the defensive line, like they still rank uh, sixth in PFF run grade. They're also good at getting pressure. So I think that the 49ers are going to opt to try to get the ball into Debo's hands underneath the zone coverage quickly at the line of scrimmage and just let him do work. We've also got injuries in the uh, linebacker core for the Eagles. We've got Nakobe Dean who's out. Zach Cunningham looks like he's not going to play. A guy named Christian Ellis is going to have to play a full-time role. He has a 39.1 PFF coverage grade. So this feels like a big game for 
We know the Eagles can play solid up front. The 49ers have had some offensive line challenges this, this season, so it's an easy way to just make Debo an extension of your run game. And then when you use him in play action, get him in behind those linebackers, they're going to have their heads spinning because they're so worried about Christian McCaffrey coming at them. It's going to be a big spot, I think, for Debo. It's, it's very hard to nail down 49ers and which one's going to go off. You know, so you want to play all these guys if you're playing like DFS this weekend. But Samuel's going to be the one that I'm that I'm rostering the most. I think Chris was dead on with his call on that one. Um, I've got him upgraded to high end wide receiver two status uh, this weekend. He's my wide receiver thirteen. 49ers had those three losses where they couldn't crack seventeen points. It wasn't a coincidence. I don't think that they came with Debo Samuel and Trent Williams out of the picture when they have had five of their top six offensive stars, including Purdy, CMC, and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, have not been held under 27. So, hey, I know we're talking a lot about the 49ers. Eagles fans, you're 10-1. and one. You guys know how freaking great you are and how well everything's going. And I'll say this. If they can get this done, man, my goodness, that'll be a six-game winning streak taking down the Dolphins. Commanders, okay. But then Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills and 49ers back to back to back to back. I mean, we're talking, I know, with Buffalo's you know, record not actually being a top five football team this year on paper, but my goodness, that would be awfully impressive. Fellas, I'm going to take this next one to myself real quick. So strap in and listen to some goodness here because question number eight, what DST should you, a scholar, pick up now in order to thrive in the fantasy playoffs? Yes, we do have, you know, our 49ers, the Browns, the Eagles, and the Jets. Teams with great matchups that have been great at creating havoc that you should continue to roster and start with confidence if you have them on your team. But if not, guys, I do have two teams that are rostered in under 20% of Yahoo leagues that have the combination of not completely sucking in real life and having a gold fantasy football playoff schedule. They are the Rams who get to close the season with the Commanders, the Saints, both those at home. And then, oh no, they got to travel and face the New York football Giants in week 17. So we're getting Sam Howell and Tommy DeVito, who if you take their 16-game sack paces, are both on pace to break David Carr's all-time record. And then we also have a matchup against either Derek Carr or maybe even Jameis Winston. Sign me up for Aaron Donald and company. Still very much trying to win football games with a 40% chance of making the playoffs going up against that stretch and also the Texans. I mean, I know a lot has been made about CJ Stroud and this great offense and deservingly. So D'Amico Ryan's though, and this defense playing hard, doing some good things. And when you get the Titans twice, as well as the Browns in week 16, our possible QBs we're facing are Ryan Tannehill, Will Levis, Dorian Thompson Robinson, PJ Walker, and Joe Flacco. So, hey, we have seen the Texans. They face the Steelers, the Saints, the Panthers, and the Cardinals. All objectively bad offenses, all held to 16 points or less. Like the Rams, Texans still very much with plenty to play for. I love the idea of getting both of these defenses as okay enough real-life units with great fantasy playoff stretches don't be afraid to use that you know last little roster spot on the rams or the texans to help yourselves out for later which takes us to boys our last question of the podcast what is our bold prediction for week 13 haven't been keeping track of the win tally but every single time we start going over the show notes i mean chris is the one just coming back with yet another w so you get to start king what are you thinking here ahead of week 13 chris I mean, I'll go ahead and like I'll I'll shoot my shot again with uh, with the two running backs from the same team, like getting into the top twelve rankings. I mean, it's it's all there, right? Uh, Steelers right now playing the playing the Cardinals. We just Ooh. watched Kyron Williams. I mean, just run roughshod over them, like from not just a rushing standpoint, but also from a pass catching standpoint. Found the box both on the ground and through the air. 
Jalen Warren, for all of the folks that were hoping for the Jalen Warren breakout last week, we saw Najee Harris like really take over and just like destroy my Bengals, which is fine. It's fine. We're on to 2024. But if there is a combination of like two running backs from the same team, that could wind up being in the top 12. I think it's with Najee Harris on the ground. Then also we get a few targets to Jalen Warren. He finds the end zone as well, like as a um, finds the end zone as a receiver, both top 12 results for the Steelers running backs in week 13. Najee has top 13 finishes in four of his last six. And again, I've tried to stress guys as awesome as Jalen Warren is Najee really isn't playing that bad either. It's legal in the year 2023 to praise more than one running back on the same team. Chris, not Chris Dwayne bull call for week 13. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle Ian. we're going to go seven catches, 145 yards, and two touchdowns. Let's this is a guy that's battled a lot of injuries, but if you just isolate down to the games where he's been at least on the field for 80% route participation, he is playing really well. 30% target share, that comes out to 9.4 targets per game and 17.3 fantasy points per contest. So I know it hasn't worked out necessarily that well for you if you drafted Jalen Waddle at the end of the second round. You're probably thinking, I should have just taken Josh Allen. I should have just taken Jalen Hurts. And you're right, you should have. We should have taken the elite quarterback. <laughs> but right now, if you've managed to make it this far, you are in a really good spot with Jalen Waddle this weekend. We also have the commanders on tap. For whatever reason, like to play the most man coverage in the league while still sucking. Hey, I have an idea. Don't put people on an island in man-to-man -man coverage when your secondary stinks. That's a problem. Now, they did fire Jack Del Rio. We'll see what happens. Do they make a change? But until then, I don't think we can really uh, you know, assume that they're going to make that change. So I think this is an absolutely huge game for Waddle. Tyreek's going to do his thing too. But if you're thinking DFS right now, based on what I'm seeing over on Establish the Run, some of the best guys in the, in the business out there with Evan Silva and Adam Levitan, all those folks, uh, Mike Leone, uh, you know, Chris, you're familiar with these guys as well, but uh, it looks like looks like uh, Hill's going to be the most rostered wide receiver on the slate and not even 10 percent right now is what they're showing for Waddle. Now, you'll have to keep an eye on that as we get closer to game time. But I've got Waddle's my wide receiver seven in top 20 play absolute smash against the commanders. Did I tell y'all uh, so random like you mentioned the Jack Del Rio getting fired. Did I tell y'all like I met him uh, at the combine. Oh, oh no! Good guy. Good guy. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, so like, <laughs> no, he uh, wasn't. He was not. Oh, no, no, no. It, it was wild. So like, we were standing at a bar, and uh, it was like me, Daigle, and uh, I think like Danny Kelly, like from the Ringer. Why like, is we're Daigle in there? every conversation with anyone He's from the Daigle? Daigle, Daigle hangs out with every person. Yeah, he does. Uh, like all, all love love to, I'll, I'll love to John. Uh, but, uh, so we're standing there, we're talking, and then all of a sudden, I feel like somebody give me a hug, like from behind. And like, I turn around and it is Jack Del Rio. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, I do not understand like what, like, like I know who this person is. I don't know why he's giving me a hug. Everybody, it was like three o'clock in the morning. Everybody why were you had getting a hug. Uh, because the I, I, like the only thing that we could come up with was like the fact that he might've mistaken me for a former player. Not sure which uh, one is. Cause like, I know folks can't tell like how big I am or anything like that. I, I'm five, nine. Like I'm five nine. I wish you were like sitting on a bar stool and all people. No, I was standing. Bar stools. You were standing. I'm standing. I was like, yeah, so I didn't can be shorter. You could have been a cornerback. Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe he's like Chris Sims. Maybe he was still. I don't know. No, Chris Sims is like six five. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So like, and then he just like he he gave me a hug and then clapped me on the shoulder and then just like stumbled off into the ether. Never saw him again afterwards. It like we were all just standing around. They were like Daigle was an awesome dying. Story. Daigle was dying because he was just like, Jack Del Rio just gave you a hug. I was like, I have no idea what just happened. It was wild.
Absolute madness. Well, I don't know how I'm going to top that. I can't top that. So we'll just casually read it. Yeah. Isaiah Pacheco, uh, 150 total yards, two touchdowns, Sunday night football. Yeah. I don't have a cool story about Jack the real though. What the hell? Why does this even matter at this point? But in all seriousness with Jared McKinnon out with a growing injury, as Dwayne would say, I do think that uh, Pacheco getting that nice little bump up in usage. They don't care about Clyde Edwards. Solaire going into a hostile Lambeau field environment, going to run the ball right down their throats. As much as Isaiah Pacheco does hate the ground that he runs on, he does tend to do so pretty hard and pretty fast when he gets those openings. And also, as we have found out this year, not the worst pass catcher in the world as well so that's gonna wrap up an eventful edition of the fantasy live podcast thank you Dwayne. thank you chris thank you for listening to you know just again the podcast that helps decide you know if we get money or not so big help and you know god forbid you describe you, you decide to subscribe there we go to our free newsletter that would be fantastic as well so many thanks again for Dwayne, for chris for producer james i'm ian thanks again for tuning in to the fantasy live podcast until next time take care everybody rolling <laughs>